Hello, I'm Annie Coops and this is the Leadership Quest podcast, where I seek out conversations with people who have an interesting perspective on leaders and leadership. So much has changed since these were recorded, but they're still brilliant insights. So if you want to think about leadership in these extraordinary times, they will be just right for you. In the meanwhile, be safe and stay well. Welcome to this Leadership Quest podcast, where I have the great pleasure of talking with Stacey Johnson, Associate Professor at Nottingham University. Stacey's views about leadership are fascinating and I am much taken by her expression of being leaderly. I think this conversation gives everyone much to think about, but nurses should definitely listen in. Thank you for listening and please let us know what you think via Twitter. I'm at Annie Coops. You'll find me there. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Hello, Stacey. It's nice to be here with you this afternoon. Um, I'm in Murfield where I live because we're all sort of still in lockdown, aren't we? Um, and I'm in my little study. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and where you are today? Okay, so so lovely to be talking to you, Anne. I'm Stacey Johnson. I'm an associate professor in the School of Health Sciences at the University of Nottingham. And I am actually at the University of Nottingham because I live on the university campus. I run one of the halls of residence. I'm the deputy warden of Houston Hall. And I am in my study in the hall. And it is the most surreal experience because normally I have 350 students. Yeah. And we're doing this on a very special day. It's norm- this is the last day of the summer term. Oh, is it? Yeah. And so tomorrow the students would be leaving the hall. But it's always a, it's a particularly poignant time because this is the end of their academic year. Mm. Many of them then will not re-enter halls. So it's not like it's the end of the Easter break. So it's been very surreal because I've basically lost my students for about half of the year mm. because they left before Easter. Um, and today particularly, it's quite a, a kind of a bittersweet time for me because normally I'd be waving the students off and and tell them to you know look forward to their summer vacation and so on so it's very odd very odd indeed but yes that's where I am so it's really interesting because the first time I met you um was at the university if you remember and I remember we actually bounced into each other on social media on Twitter didn't we and you asked me to come down and talk to um, some of your students and um, that's why I'm interested in talking to you today so if I remember rightly I came to talk to some students about being a patient actually and um, it was a group of nurses on a master's program who um, who I think have turned out to be, I've I've seen some of them progress since they left the programme and have turned out to be a very interesting group. Um, And I'm interested in why you did a master's programme for nurses and what your perspective around leadership is for that new generation, really. Yes, yeah. Um, Absolutely. And that was a very special master's programme. It's a four-year undergraduate master's Mm. programme, the MNERSI. So it wasn't registered nurses who were coming back to do a master's. It was, you know, typical 19-year-old school leavers, some mature students um, coming to us from high school, do four years, they get a master's qualification and their registered nurse qualification. So for me, it was very important, and you met them in their final year, it was very important for me all through their their, their educational program to be thinking about leadership from day one. Um, I'm not a believer in waiting until people are about six to then start giving them leadership development. I think we need to be actively seeking to spot young student nurses or student nurses, they don't have to be young, but student nurses who are new into the profession or, or who are indeed young, to spot leadership aptitude, begin to nurture and develop that early we need to deconstruct this notion that ambition should be punished and discouraged until they're a bit further along and that leadership somehow is the preserve of people who've been around for a while. Now, I'm a big believer in wisdom and the role of wisdom in leadership, but I also think that people new to professions, junior leaders, are, have just as much to contribute as leaders and we need to develop them and nurture that really, really early. And one of the reasons I invited you was because... I saw you on social media. I wasn't actually doing. I was. I was early, new to social media then, and I was like, "Oh my god, here is an actual digital leader." And the thing that struck me was, I'm also a big fan of vulnerability in leadership. And for me, vulnerability is the foundation of compassionate leadership. And you, at that time. 
time, you didn't see very many nurse leaders on Twitter, first of all, and leading visibly and in a very kind of non-hierarchical way through digital media. But also, you didn't also see a lot of um, nurses, nurse leaders, showing vulnerability, right? So vulnerability as strength versus vulnerability as weakness. So the fact that you were talking about, remember I invited you to talk about yourself as a patient because I wasn't seeing many leaders talking about them being service users, you know? And I wanted the students to, to hear from a service user who was also a successful nurse leader for them to understand that difference actually makes teams better. You can be a leader if you've got a long-term condition. Um, and that when rather than reducing patients, service users, to their disease, you want to see them as, you know, it might be somebody who is uh, somebody from the city. It might be somebody who is, who's got a really big job. So actually you can't keep them waiting for ages yeah. in a clinic, etc., etc., etc. And it was really exciting for me to see a nurse leader tweeting about her long-term condition. And I wanted the students to, to be inspired by that and to hear from you. That's lovely, and, and I really, really enjoyed the exposure, obviously, to a lot of enthusiastic um, young people. Um, I'm, I'm really intrigued by um, your comments about wisdom um, and leadership versus young leaders who perhaps might not have it. I mean, I'm not. It's not right to say that they're not wise, is it? But um, they haven't got the um, the wisdom of experience is, is what they haven't got at that stage so there's, there's lots of debates that um, rage and I ask most people about this because I'm really intrigued by the notion that um, some people believe that everybody is a leader um, and some people believe that leadership is positional um, other people believe that some people just don't have the capacity for leadership do you have a view about any of those things? I do have a view. So I, 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 I'm a big believer. You know that, um, I'm not going to burst into song, don't worry, but you know that Bar Barbara Streisand song, um, Woman in Love, where she sings, no truth is ever a lie. Yeah. So actually, all of those things that you can say can coexist. Yeah. Right? So it can be that somebody believes that leaders are born, not made, that not everybody can lead, all of that. All, all of those things are true. Okay. My take, though, is it's not a binary thing. It's not just are they born or are they made? Are, is everybody a leader? Is it positional leadership? My belief and the, the work I do is getting every nurse, every midwife, every whoever else, every young person, every junior leader who might be older but coming to the profession for the first time. I need people to understand that every person can be leaderly. I'm right, a big okay. fan of the idea of being leaderly, which is demonstrating some of the characteristics of a leader so it may be that you're not demonstrating every characteristic all of the time but that everybody has the capacity to demonstrate some of the characteristics at different times of their career right um, and of course the way in which the characteristics are, are combined vary you know the longer in, in the career um whether it might be that you are leaderly on one particular topic because the way you're leaderly is because you have the most knowledge about that topic or you have the most interest in a topic where somebody might have another part of that puzzle, you know? So I believe that everybody can be leaderly. Not only that, I believe that every we as a profession and as a health system have to um, unleash and allow everyone to be leaderly because we cannot progress healthcare. How are we going to come out of this COVID pandemic if we are only depending on the positional leaders and we're only allowing them to lead and set the direction and motivate people and get people going and solve problems? It's every hand we every hand is needed on the deck or whatever the saying is. Every hand to the pump, whatever you know. So I think that. Um, you know, if we were working in a health system that were perfect, if we were working in a health system that meant that there were no disparities in outcomes, if we were working in a health system where I was seeing the population reflected in the leadership, then I would say to you, oh yeah, let's focus just on positional leadership then. But we need every hand on, we need leadership at every level. So I like to refer to leaders in organizations, not leaders of organizations, or not only leaders of, of organizations. We do need people with more experience. We do need people with additional advanced skills to lead organizations, but we also need people with varying levels of skill and styles to be able to be leading at all levels of the organization. Every porter should be able to have the potential to be leaderly. 
um, every catering, you know, whether it's band one, two, I don't even know there are band ones, but in the world, but one, two, three, four, up to band 27 needs to be empowered to, because remember, for me, leadership is only about identifying a cause, eliciting support for that cause, and persuading people, or motivating people to help you achieve that outcome or that you know meet, address that cause right and I, I i don't see that that is linked to position in an organization i think that maybe having authority formal position positional authority might make some types of tasks easier but actually i can see where there are some examples where you need everybody every hand on deck you know one of the other really amazingly inspirational nurses apart from yourself that i had to come and talk to that same group um was fiona murphy from the north again another person north of nottingham um and she is the you know the swan lady one yeah. chance um and she talked about how in the early days she thought that all that work around caring for not just the living but the dying and yeah. the dead and the families after death and she was talking about how she kind of assumed at the start that it would be the nurses and the professionals that would be driving that program and that could improve elements of that program. She talked about the massive and inspirational leadership from, um, there was a porter who said, you know, I w I've worked in design and I can tell you how you can make a better trolley to move people who have died around the hospital that is more dignified. And she talked about how excited and, and happy the catering staff were that they could contribute to making the last hours yeah. of, of, of yeah. life and, and supporting families. They were saying, we've always wondered, can we give the families food when they're in a room locked away for two days in the last hours of their relative's life? What, we, what an amazing chance to mm. give mm. and to lead. And look, that was them demonstrating for me being leaderly. So if we have this really old-fashioned idea that the leaders that we looked up once for leadership, um, then we're gonna. We, I, I think, how are we gonna solve all the really wicked problems that we are gonna encounter? We have been encountering in healthcare, and we and they're only gonna become more wicked and more complex in a post-COVID society. You know, and particularly as well because we can't return to normal. Yeah. Because normal was not working yeah. for everybody. Yeah. There are some groups for which normal was not working. And unless we really look for leadership everywhere and, and unleash this amazing power of people to, to, to be leaderly, um, then I think we're going to really struggle. So tell me what it's like to work with um, relatively young people on these types of agenda. What What is it that, because obviously you've dedicated your career really haven't you yeah. to doing that so what's it like to work with these young people yeah yeah uh, i mean it's amazing and of course i suppose one of the things that's really exciting about doing junior leadership and i use that word very provocatively so i have a couple of people kind of say oh you know i don't like the notion of because but if you're saying that, that they're junior leaders you're somehow relegating them to a lesser role than what a senior leader right but i use the term very provocatively so i i, I don't say young leaders because remember many of the students nursing is really lucky compared to some of the other courses at the university of nottingham where our undergraduate bsc population for example tends to have more variety in terms of ethnicity age people coming in on second third careers even yeah, people in yeah. their 40s starting nursing right yeah. and i still would refer to those people as having the potential to be junior leaders because they even if they come from a really high flying career in business and we've got those they are still new to the healthcare profession they're new to nursing so in that way i think they're junior leaders right um, but you're right some of them are actually quite young and some of them are obviously and, and, and again other things i don't always talk about future leaders or these young people as future leaders or these junior leaders as future leaders because many of them are leading now yeah and, and, and often what you spot is when they come up to you to raise an issue and they've got a solution or they have already galvanized social support which is what leadership is around a particular cause they're now coming to get your help right so a lot of the times when you when you spot them these people who are leaderly without having a formal positional leadership role and remember, so these are not just for course reps these might just be people who you've never actually encountered in a, mm. in a leadership position but they're already demonstrating leadership aptitude so i think the first thing we need to maybe um remove from our thinking is the fact that they're all future leaders but and really start con considering and accepting that many of them are leading now 
So one of the students, a years ago, we ran a national junior leadership academy. So these were students from England, Northern Ireland, Scotland and Wales. That was funded then by the Higher, the, the higher Education Academy. And um, one of the students said, um, so one of the first things we do is start working on their leadership identity, their internal vision of themselves as a leader, right? Because remember they have, they've already taken on all the things that we've been saying, which is leaders are older, leaders are the future, leaders have to be positional and, and so on. And I remember her saying, I'm not a leader, she said. I'm from a council estate. She said that about herself. And I said, look, but remember you're on this program for which we had 120-something applications for 10 places. Mm -hmm. I had funding for 10 places. I ended up taking 17 students mm -hmm. because there was just so much talent. And I was saying to her, this person particularly, she had been writing a, um, a blog in, the, I think something like the Student Nursing Times. And I was like, I even know what a blog is, love. And then you realize that she's putting that out once a week. Yeah. She is yeah. coming up with something to write once a week. Yeah. And it was, I think they obviously, back then they had a digital version of student, nurse, of student nursing times or nursing times with the student nurse element. And I was like, well, that's digital leadership. How many people read your words compared to how many people read my stupid dry article that's mm -hmm. not a blog? You know, and I was trying to say to her, you know, you are, you so don't see yourself as a leader, but you are already demonstrating leadership aptitude. And there's so many other examples I can give you of whether we're talking about 19 year old young student nurses or student nurses who've come into the, the profession from another profession or who are coming into it late as in have been homemakers or whatever, um, where you start talking to them, you see evidence that they are leading now, that they have led in the past. It's just that maybe sometimes they don't look like the traditional leader. Yeah, and yeah. then here, you know, we're, we're, we're wanting to be critical. We want to actually think about leadership and inclusive leadership as a critical activity. Leadership for all, by all. So again, many of these people don't see themselves as leaders, don't have a leadership identity because they're like, well, all of these I know are white male. Or all of these I know are older white females, or all of these I know are black men, or whatever. Yeah, so they don't yeah. see themselves. Or I don't see mothers or single mothers. Well, I don't. I've never met a chief executive who's got facial tattoos or ten facial piercings, and they're made to believe that leaders look one way and talk yeah. one way and sound yeah. one way. And so, for me, this is urgent work. This is urgent work. So you know, I love that. You know that saying, um, not for the few but for the many so for me my tag is leadership not for the few not even for the many but for every Everyone. nurse because I, we have, every nurse needs to lead and every nurse needs to lead for everybody else if that makes sense for every type of person I wonder, um, so sometimes when I'm looking through my Twitter feed and, um, you know, I follow sometimes um, student nurses and they tell stories about the hard time that they have um, in, in, in settings and I'm guessing that um, many professional groups it's the, same, it's the same problem. So what is it that makes it so difficult for us to receive um, those people into our places of work and into our cultures, do you think? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, you know, I, I do often say to Bright Spark students, you guys are really exhausting. Yeah, yeah. I understand that. It's actually quite challenging to lead leaders. Mm. It's challenging to lead innovative people. It's challenging to lead and support and develop boat rockers. Um, because they're always challenging you, but also they will challenge your traditional way of thinking. Um, for some people, leadership is not about service so you remember i'm not a believer in servitude mm -hmm. right so i want every nurse to be as educated as possible um but i believe in service i believe in leadership as servant leadership right so as in we're leading um in order to deliver better care to the populations we serve now i believe that that truth of service can also happen alongside ambition so I have no problem with a student nurse in their first year saying, I want to be a director of nursing, or I want to do a PhD, or I want to make huge amounts of money by running a business. But many people do have that problem. And, and, and that might very much be because nursing is gendered labor. It's largely women. It's often women from, um, uh, from, from specific socioeconomic statuses, right? And, and you know, there is classism um, in our society. Um, more and more nurses are from BME backgrounds. So it sometimes is a bit odd 
people feel at odd when those people express ambition because remember we we're meant to be lovely angels and all of that yeah yeah um, and for me service and servant leadership can happen alongside ambition intellectual pursuits um, i often say to students our course we make you so posh that you wash so i don't care about this you're too posh to wash is a degree i don't have that debate anymore about should it be degree should it not be degree it is it should be how which other professions do you ever hear talking about whether less knowledge is better name me one profession that still engages in that ridiculous debate right for me what i'm saying is i want to educate nurses to the highest possible level so that they understand even more the need to wash their patients do essential nursing care be at the bedside or be in the boardroom you know i think that those two truths can um, can can coexist i think you can be um you know a degree level intellectual nurse and still give direct care i believe you can be ambitious and be a servant leader you know and i just think that there's so many traditional odd ideas we have that may be about the profession that may be about the fact that it's mainly women in the profession um and 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 other kinds of people that that society generally does not value yeah that means that yeah. we somehow think that we shouldn't be rising and expressing ambition and so on you know i was quite an ambitious young thing i suspect i was quite hard work at the time as well um, but i sort of recognized that and i recognized that at the time as well i think so i wondered um talking about um youth and leadership and and being very topical um at marcus rashford and everything that he's done in the last week or so um you know, you, it's just sometimes that you write, leadership comes from unexpected places. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, leadership comes from unexpected places. And for me, one of the reasons that, that that whole situation is so profound is because, you know, I am a black woman. I am an immigrant. I came to the UK at 19. I did nurse training. And, you know, I see it's actually very painful for me to watch you know, in the last couple of weeks, everybody's noticed because the death of George Floyd was so obvious, mm. right? It was so brutal. Mm. Um, but actually, you remember that you speak, if you talk to many black people, these little cuts, these little paper cuts that lead up to big things are constant. Mm. So I have seen, so before Marcus Rashford, Rash, Rashford there's all that stuff from um, Sterling, I've forgotten his name, the other footballer who, the, the reports in the newspaper are so negative about him, you know? Um, and why, why I thought that that Marcus Rashford thing was so profound for me is that, okay, I was like, good, so right, now in the future when you're writing about young black footballers, look, we've got a positive thing to write now. You know? oh, I see. So, so you, what I think you're saying is that it's happened. This has happened before, but there was an aligning of the stars. So, so a number of things all happened together yeah, that made yeah. that his leadership. I'm not trying to d dismiss what he did at all, not in any way at all. Um, but what you're saying is, been others who've gone before him, yes, who because absolutely. because there wasn't the context around it at that time, it it didn't happen for them. Yeah. And absolutely. that's that's yeah. actually really sad. That's a yeah. sad reflection, actually. Absolutely, yeah. But what he did was so, pretty amazing. And um, and but you're right. I mean, we need to give more airspace to more people. Yeah, we do. I, I love your I idea about being leaderly. I think yeah. nobody nobody's talked on the podcast about being leaderly. Um, because we we, we 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 set it up as a, you're either a leader or you're not. Well, I, mm -hmm. I think actually it could be that you drifted out of it and you demonstrated some of the elements and not all of the elements. You know, I some, think the other reason that I think that that's, that Marcus Rashford is profound that situation is because people were saying stick to your lane. You're a footballer. Don't mm -hmm. get involved in politics. Mm -hmm. And this is something that often they say to nurses. It is. And again, as well as I'm like, of course you must be political. The, poli the personal is political care is political yeah, it is. when you stand at a bedside the amount of time you have with that patient is driven by politics mm. with a big p and a small p um mm. your ability to negotiate on behalf of your patient at policy level the fact that you know we struggle sometimes to be at not just enacting policy and implementing policy but setting and 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 and, and, and um you know dreaming and designing policy which is and then we're often then just left with trying to deal with the consequences of bad policy you know so um so for me that's that's why that him and his, his act of leadership was very important to me um i think the 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 issue about being leaderly has been alluded to in other podcasts where people have talked about um 
the the the, the noun of you are a leader versus things that you have done and achieved were about leadership. I think yes, so people yes. have alluded to, to similar yeah. things. So yeah, leadership I, or leaderly as being an adjective. Yes. So um so do you think you're a leader, Stacey? I think in, at times leaderly Yeah, so that's that's <laughs> yeah. Um and, and, and to be honest, look yeah I, I, I would I feel less nervous about saying I'm a leader, um, even though I've just said I'm leaderly, mainly because, again, going back to what I was saying before, which is, for me, vulnerability is the foundation of compassionate leadership. So, you know, if you were saying to me, if I declare myself a leader, am I saying I'm perfect, that I have all the leadership skills I need, that I am always able to lead effectively, that I always have to be leading from the front, then I would have to say, no, I'm not a leader. But because for me, I'm, my, 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 my aim is to be leaderly, uh, and, and sometimes I refer to 360 degree leadership. Sometimes, even as a positional leader, you lead from the front. Mm -hmm. Other times you're leading by standing shoulder to shoulder with your subordinates. Sometimes you are standing behind them, pushing them forward, letting them take not just the lead, but the limelight and the yeah. credit. Yeah. And sometimes you're on the other side of them. So for me, that's, it's, 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 sometimes you're leading from the front and sometimes when there's trouble, you've got to lead from the front. But sometimes you are just standing shoulder to shoulder with them. Uh, sometimes you're leading from behind where you're saying, my God, and this is how it often happens with the youth leaders, the young leaders, the junior leaders, is that they just need somebody behind them pushing them or at their side pushing them. You know, uh, and again, this is the thing about leaders, isn't it? The best leaders, and I don't know if I have, have been successful at doing that, but the best leaders are invisible when there is credit to be taken, but very visible when there's trouble to be dealt with, right? So, you know, if you push yeah. the person forward and something for something negative happens as a result of that, you can't say, well, yeah, well, you would, it was your idea. As a leader, you then have to come back to the front and say, I will take the blame because I didn't create the problem. I gave it, but, but I have to take the blame and deal with the, with the, with the issues. And I think this is sometimes the problem, and I struggle with this as well. Um, you know, sometimes the problem is that some leaders want all the glory. I think it's difficult, it's isn't it? They're happy to pass the yeah, I think under the bus, you know? I think I, I personally don't mind taking the flack. I'm, I'm cool with that. But I do like affirmation as well. I do, yes. you know, I, I do like affirmation and, you know, that's probably a character flaw of mine. So, but, um, so, so, Tell me a little bit more about, so how did you get here? I think you probably have an interesting story to tell. So 19-year-old coming into the UK and now an associate professor in a big university. So how did all that happen? I still kind of don't quite know, actually. Um, well, I don't know. I, I, I actually didn't know what I wanted to do. You know, uh, I went to an all-girls high school and basically there were kind of three or four options. You were either a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer. Literally, that was it. Um, <laughs> because it was that kind of school. So, um, you know, it's, it's all based on merit. It wasn't a private school or anything like that. You know, you, did, you had to do our 12-plus exam and so on. Um, and I was like, I don't, I don't want to be any of those things. I don't want to be a doctor. I don't want to be a lawyer. I don't want to be a, 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 an engineer. Uh, but I didn't quite know what I wanted to do. Um, and back then, you're Australia as a Commonwealth nation, and back then, um, we still had, I don't even know what we called them back then, we still got bursaries, and you didn't pay you didn't pay university fees. And in fact, it was the early days of Project 2000, so at the University of Surrey, where I was, we were only the second Project 2000 intake. I remember those um, days. Right? Mm -hmm. and, um, and I was like, wow, you could go and study nursing, and you get a diploma, and mm -hmm. you you know, you can go on to a, do a degree, and I could learn as well as practice. And you didn't, you, you know, you 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 didn't pay school fees. You got actually got a bursary, which back then, you know, for, as my first time away from home with my own money, it felt luxurious, yeah. huge amount. Yeah. So, something ridiculous like six thousand pounds. But I was, you know, we were all able to live on that. Um, you know, home students as well as international students. And, and I guess this is one of my things as well. Going off topic a little bit is, you know, I, I understand the financial reasons why we can't train the whole world um, anymore as a nation. But it does worry me slightly that, you know, our student nurses are paying fees. And at the same time, we are recruiting from countries where those poor governments, as in lower and middle income countries, they are paying their student fees. Yeah. But we are poaching 
those nurses yeah. when yeah. our students are so we're not even educated so so i used to think well okay it's not that bad it's a bit of, of, of give and take because they're paying to train nurses from the commonwealth and therefore when they um recruit from the commonwealth or other countries then okay well you know we're training them some go back some don't go back now it's not even just that we're not paying to train commonwealth students we're actually making our students pay mm. and we're going and actually recruiting from countries that are poor yeah who, whose governments yeah. are paying so yeah. children are, for example students don't pay fees student nurses don't and i think they still get a little bit of money our government's not paying for even to train our own nurses and we're poaching from yeah somebody else's yeah Do you know it's, it's become yeah. quite odd you know so anyway so um so that's how i got here i it was definitely the best three years of my life we were in Chertsey because it was we went into university of sorry to study but it was um a kind of regional school so it was people from farnham frimley Chertsey where i was actual guildford and we went and we learned we went into practice it was it was lovely i got to travel um met people who are still my best friends 30 years later um and it just was a transformational experience for me um nursing has been so good to me it is the noblest profession mm-hmm. um it's the hardest one of the hardest professions and when i say noble i mean in the sense not in the angel sense so you know i'm again i'm not one of, it's probably gonna be controversial to, to people listening to the podcast but i'm not i don't believe that nursing is a calling i believe that you come into it and you develop values and we can help people develop beliefs and values i don't think it's some kind of magical thing that you have this calling to do and suddenly it's easy for you to do Uh, i don't think that you know and i do think you can educate people to be excellent compassionate nurses um so so i've i'm so happy that i made this choice um i've never regretted it it's allowed me to do so many different types of things i love my current job because I i have to say i haven't um given direct care to a sick person for a while in a formal sense i mean you know i I have a go um at doing um you know i I have to keep up to date i'm still on the register and we do a lot of clinical skills teaching i feel that i still nurse though because there's a lot of pastoral care that we do with our nursing students i do a lot of work in the nhs around reverse mentoring and supporting organization boards nurses doctors and so on to reflect on practice and learning and so on so i feel i still nurse um and i feel that i nurse when i challenge um and i feel i nurse when i advise um you know to the chief nursing officers bme advisory group for example so so um um, as you know um i'm very interested in reverse mentoring so um where did that start for you was that with students first of all or can you tell me a little bit about that journey yeah so it did start in a very loose way with students first so when we were doing that national junior leadership academy and i was then so in that in that program we identified students with leadership aptitude we got them together we focused on designing a program that would develop their leadership identity so not skills but their internal beliefs so a lot of it was about self-reflection introspection um, thinking about their own values and so on but then the other element of it was to help them to develop their leadership identity by exposing them to senior nurse leaders who to, whose leadership signatures they could observe and then say okay i want to do that i want to be like that i don't want to be like that okay and so one of the things we had to do was we then recruited for every student on that program a very senior nurse as a mentor and not in the clinical mentor sense that normally we think of with men but actually the kind of professional mentorship sense and then also we gave each person a two-week internship in a policy or leadership capacity so back then we still had nurses in the department of health um uh people intern with um the regional chief nurses mm-hmm. um a, a massive variety right so of course when i was trying to court and recruit these mentors um i wanted to say to them look they're going to learn from you obviously but let me tell you what you can get out of it because you know we have no money to pay these these yeah. senior nurses yeah. and i'm saying you know we, we we operate on reverse mentoring philosophy which is that you can learn from them and those are the early days of social media so i was saying things i like get them to show you how to tweet and that kind of thing um and i actually recently found the newspaper clipping i'd been doing delivering some leadership development training in india and in the indian financial times there was an article about reverse mentoring but it was very much traditional reverse mentoring which is young graduates in banking yeah reverse yeah. mentoring senior executives so yeah. i was using the idea very much there about young people reverse mentoring older people but then of course i started 
doing more and more work around equality, diversity and inclusion, mm -hmm. and particularly around race equality and more and more now other kinds of equality, LGBTQ issues, disabled staff and so on. And I started wondering, gosh, actually it's not about young and old, it's about people with less power, perceived to have less power, and people with more power. And I wonder whether this, this idea could be implemented to help us improve the experience of black and minority ethnic staff, their ability to progress. If we could expose, originally I was thinking very binary, if I could expose white leaders to them talking about their experiences, sharing what some of the barriers that they faced, getting white leaders to gain insight into their lives and work out what that means for how they work and how we restructure organizations and who we see as leaders i thought wouldn't that work so typically i'm an academic so i go looking for a way to do this i go trying to do some research to see is there a playbook for this is there how long do you, do you pay them up for do you have to train the junior member of staff to challenge a leader um you know what makes for a good reverse mentor uh should the relationships last six months or seven months or 12 months or two months and and there was nothing mm -hmm. absolutely nothing at and i was like oh is that dead in the water so there was short papers two sides of a4 in the yeah. harvard business review saying oh reverse mentoring is this it's wonderful everybody should do it nothing to do with what are the outcomes what how do they evaluate when you say it was good what what were the outcomes for inclusion? How to improve the cultural competence of the leaders, you know? Um, so I was like, okay, there's no playbook for this. I'm going to have to create my own. <laughs> um, which is what, which I, I, went, I went on to do. You know, we, I use theory, Paolo Freire's critical pedagogy to design a framework and then some models. So the framework is about setting up the organization's context, organizational commitment. How do you train the mentors and the mentees? How do you then support the mentors and the mentees through reflective practice and peer support? Um, and then you kick off the relationships. Um, they last for a specific. So I, I went, I did action research. I asked the community. I said, look, here's the framework. Here's the model. What do you think? We refined it based on problems that they saw. Then I was like, well, how long should the relationships last for? you know how many meetings should you have and they said okay let's we think it should be this so i ran a number of workshops so that one reason i have a lot of confidence in the remedy framework reverse mentoring for equality diversity and inclusion remedy with an i mm -hmm. is because i didn't make up the framework i started with theory i then took it out to the community and first it was to staff with protected characteristics so disabled staff bme staff and so on then i went and i did it with all kinds of people so we ran workshops with people who were doing organizational development mentoring and coaching experts people who were edi equality diversity inclusion um uh, experts and leaders and organizational development people hr people boards and said um you know tell me how we should research this how long should the relationships last for and then of course we're running them now people are living through the relationships we're working in about 15 or 16 different organizations in health and social care but also in higher education yeah and always evaluating we're doing we're, we're hoping to get some of the earliest evaluation data soon um, um, I, I, I am i'm ambitious you see as i said earlier and i would like <laughs> to be reverse mentored so right so, you, so if i've got that you got it. Yeah. You can't back out. No, no, that's no, fine. So, um, yeah. so, so it's really, um, you've done some really interesting things, I think. I want to go back to um, leaderly, being leaderly. Because normally I say to people who, if you look around you in the leadership sort of space, who, who do you admire? Who would you point at? But I guess I can't ask you who is the leader that you would like me to point at because... Um, the question probably for you is who do you see exhibiting leaderly um, characteristics around that you would point at? I also noticed earlier on that you picked out some of the things that you thought were leadership characteristics like authenticity. No, um, vulnerability was the one that you said, wasn't it? Not authenticity. Um, I think you might have said authentic earlier on, um, um, but also... Um, I guess you've talked about some of the the way that they it's, it's hard isn't it because you can't talk about youth because they're not all young as you say but you talked about the characteristics that that the, the newer emergent uh, nursing leaders characteristics are yeah. sort of emerging through so who would you point at who would you say okay these are the people that I admire who've done leaderly things yeah 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 
Um, so and it's interesting that you asked me about the characteristics because we, we then built that National Junior Leadership Academy. We then got some EU money. I was very grateful to the European Commission. It was Erasmus Plus where we got four countries, England, Southern Ireland, um, Portugal and Slovenia. We had four universities in those four countries. Um, and one of the early things we did, we had a leadership festival where we asked, we got patients, teachers, lecturers, students, student leaders, all kinds of people in a room. And then were, for, for a week, actually, we had this leadership festival. And one of the days was, what is this junior leadership? Is this actually a, a specific thing? Is, it, is, it, is, is being leaderly, a th not, not sorry, is being leaderly a thing, is junior leadership a thing? And they started talking about the things that they saw in junior leaders, and they were very specific characteristics. We were saying that these individual things themselves are not unique, but together, ah. this combination of characteristics is a distinctive brand of leadership, which is junior leadership. And one of the things about junior leadership is that we recognize it has a shelf life. Ah. Right? So you've got to, to capitalize on their newness early. Right? Because then they stop being a junior leader. Five years into the front and they're no longer a junior leader, you know? So, and some of the characteristics were things that we normally identify as bad. So, one of the things was, um, so things like the courage of curiosity. One of the things we talked about, the, 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 the conviction of idealism. So, they are so idealistic, they believe that perfect care is possible. So, we often say, oh, you're so idealistic unrealistic but because they believe it they're still idealistic at the start of their careers at the start of their, their student their careers but also even when they're newly qualified they, they, they're seeking perfect care whereas some of us who are a bit more jaded are like well yeah perfect care is never possible so we've dropped our standards mm. and you can see why that has a shelf life you know so for me i guess when i'm looking around and i see people that i admire that i think oh, i, I want to be like them <laughs> um it's people who are demonstrating those skills, often even when they are further along in their career. You know, I right, want to okay. see the curious. I want to see. So, so one of the things, things I notice that student junior junior leaders do is they listen to every, every experience seems to be fascinating, even the things that are routine, which is why they ask so many questions. You know, uh, and so I guess I look for those qualities in established leaders. Those are the people that really kind of make me think, "Wow, wow! I want, I want to be able to, to lead like that." You know, um, uh, I'll talk to you about you know some of my students I admire as leaders. Um, so last week, for example, and and some of these were student nurses, but last week we had an amazing letter. Um, it was a coalition of student societies from the University of Nottingham who wrote a letter saying, "What were you doing as a university?" <laughs> around Black Lives Matter. And I was like, right. And I actually wrote it because remember they were criticizing him. I'm leading at the University of Nottingham, the Race Equality Charter. And they were saying, we, what is this Race Equality Charter? We've never heard of it. It's, it's bad. And I, so they were coming at me, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. the co-chair, right? Yeah. But I had to, I, on, I think I wrote to them. I said, look, what, what amazing, courageous leadership. Thank you because you've made me just rethink everything I've been doing around race equality charter, right? So students inspire me. Um, I guess more broadly, I, I, I am inspired by people whose formal role is not to lead. So any musician, any footballer like Marcus Rashford, people like that who step out of their lane and put their head above the parapet and, 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 and risk being slapped down, ridicule and so on. I yeah. admire yeah. leaders like that. I admire in terms of formal leaders and political leader i admire leaders who are indeed authentic who demonstrate cultural humility um so one of the one of these i do really admire actually angela hillary from northampton healthcare foundation trust um always questioning what should i be doing better right cultural humility for me people like yvonne Coggett, who i know has done one of your um your podcasts such a courageous leader she'll say stuff that nobody else That's is courageous say, enough yeah. to say yeah right and, and the thing is you remember that sometimes when you're saying these things it is at the cost of yourself mm. but in order to allow people to come behind you Right. So Yvonne is, is retiring soon. She's not talking about the progress of black staff because she's going to benefit. She's, yeah. she's retiring in yeah. a couple of months, right? Yeah. She's saying it for people who are a couple of years, not after, you know, a few yeah. years behind, yeah. to be able to have an yeah. easier way, you know? People yeah. like Laura Sarrant, who, um, you know, she's a sponsor, right? So she's not just a mentor. Um, she's, you know, one of the few black professors in the country. And she is somebody who, um, she, the first time I was able to do a keynote, um, and you know, in academia, doing a keynote speech is an invited 
main speech, kicking off speech, is very difficult to get. It's very difficult to get your first one. So much easier once you've got your first yeah, one. Yeah. Um, and she was asked to do a keynote at some big conference, and she was like, I can't do it. Uh, she was doing something else, even more important. Um, and, uh, and she said, but I know someone who can. And I, I, I remember the moment that this email arrived in my inbox. I was like, what? Oh, my God. And I was doing my, oh, my God, I can't do it. I can't do it. And actually, I then saw a message from her on my phone saying, Stacey, I've offered your name up for a keynote. Don't worry. I will help you. Because yeah. Because I knew. She's I was just like, helping oh, you. I can't do this. She's, she's, she's helping you up. Yeah. Helping you. Absolutely. Yeah. Lifting as you fly. Laura's on, um, Laura's on my list of people ah, for the podcast because yeah, um, yeah. I know Laura quite well. People like you who were ahead of the game because, again, you remember, I didn't know you. Um, when I think about digital leadership, you and um, Teresa Chin, for example, are the mm-hmm. first kind of people I was like, what is this Twitter thing? <laughs> right? And, and why, is it, why is it not just like faffing about on Facebook? And you were two of the first people I saw visibly leading not just having random statements on twitter but actually leading asking questions reaching out and so on you know that's kind so of you thank of you yeah so um we're starting to come we've been talking for ages i love talking to you <laughs> i talk too much and we don't talk too much at all so um so a couple of last questions i guess really so um i ask people at the end of the podcast who do you recommend that i um, have a conversation with from here onwards um, and the second question I'd like to ask you is is there anything that you would point people at that will help people to understand some of the issues that are going on currently yeah okay um, I think first read 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 there's so much stuff on the internet and you know I, I'm not even going to suggest a specific website right here just you know google um, Terms that you're going to struggle with. Yeah. yeah. Google white privilege. Yeah. Google white allies. Those terms will be hurtful if you are a good white person. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because you're like, well, I'm not privileged. You know, but you know, Google those terms and, and read about those ideas and those issues. There's some really good books. Of course, there's a book called White Privilege, who's the author, I can't remember actually. Um, you know, have a go. It's, it's, it's a tough read, but the Rennie Edo Lodge book, which is why I no longer talk to white people about race. Have a yeah, look at yeah. that as well. Yvonne recommended um, those two books as absolutely. well. Absolutely. Um, there's another book which is called Anti-Racism or Being Anti-Racist. And mm-hmm. in fact, interesting, again, um, I don't know if you ever put out any text with your podcast. I can always find the names or links to some of these writers because I've forgotten. It's Ibram somebody. I've forgotten. The, I, I want to say maybe it might be Ibram Kendi. I think, I think people can find those books. Yes. Yeah. But what I think is really interesting is actually in the next month or so, um, in addition to the book, he's, the book he's written about anti-racism, he's written one called Anti-Racist Baby. Oh. Now, I don't know what age range it's, 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 it's um, aimed at, but I'm planning to buy that because I'm thinking even if it's based on five-year-olds or, or aimed at five-year-olds, it maybe takes me back to basics as a yeah. black person, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I'm not being insulting no, when no, I no. say to people, you know, maybe even, because remember, it might be that people want to understand anti-racism for themselves and they're really clever so they can read a really complicated book, or they might want to be even thinking about how they have those conversations with their kids. Yeah. Yeah, right? absolutely. So don't even just think about yourself, but I think about how you want to then be talking to your little children about this, you know. So maybe resources like that. That's that's Who great. Would I Who say would I say that I should to? talk to? Um, I can't actually give you that. So I think maybe somebody like Katharina Colliver from Council of Dean. So not a nurse, but a really good honorary nurse, I think. A real champion for nursing on the policy space. And, and somebody who I think gives really good examples of how to be political as a clinician. She's not a clinician herself. And she runs a, another program. So I did the Junior Leaders for Academy, but, but the, 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 the Council of Deans runs the 150 Leaders program. Oh, uh, yes. Really yes. program. Uh, and, and I would say, I, I can't give you a name, but I would say look for a couple of students. Uh, it's finding, it's because... By the time they manage, then they're not students anymore, and yeah, yeah, it's it's because yeah. somebody else um, I interviewed Jenny Middleton, and yes. she said interview some students, and I I need to find a way to do it. I think. Yeah, yeah. So, I'll send you some names. Yeah, that would <laughs> be good. We've got all the hundred and fifty leaders, and 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 you know I can identify nursing students around that. That's all professions. Um, obviously, I've got lots of people who've been impressing me in my university, the University of Nottingham. Yeah. Um, uh, some newly qualified, some um, who 
Oh, second years, first years, we've got a really good I'd, lo- I'd love to talk to some yeah. um, people who are less mature in their career, I think would yeah. be good. Absolutely. So. Because last year we were really pleased to win the University of Nottingham, the School of Health Sciences Black and Minority Ethnic Student Network won the inaugural Mary Sue Cole ah, yes. Prize at the Student Network. I Times remember seeing that, yeah. And, and I have to say, I've been running that BME Student Network for about six years. But I wasn't really getting sustained traction. It was when the students, so not just came along to the network, but when the students took over as leaders uh-huh. is when it became transformed. There's no way we would have won that prize if I didn't have the student leaders that I had. Yeah, A couple of them have qualified, of course. Um, Kudzai, who's qualified now. Gladys, who's qualified now. Um, Celestine, a guy who's qualified now. But there are some really up-and-coming students who are second years who have taken that role over. And they are helping me, supporting me, running. We're running weekly wobble rooms, actually, online wobble rooms, but for BME students. Because, you right. know, they are out in practice. The third yeah. years are out in yeah. practice. Yeah. And remember, we set them out there before we knew about the excess risk. Yes, yes. Right? Um, so we're running sessions, let, letting them talk about their bereavement. Some of them mm. talk about having four relatives already died. Um, you know, and how what it's like to then have to put on your armor and go out into that risky place again, you know. And so some of those students are leading beautifully, you know. I'd love, I'd love for you to introduce me some of those, and I, I promise to follow those up quickly before they become too qualified. So, so my final question then is, um, tell us how people can get hold of you and see your work. How would people find you? Yeah. So, because my email address is on the university website, I, I people often say to me, I can't believe you tweeted your university address, your email address. So I'm like, well, it's on the web. You Google Stacy Johnson, you'll see my email address. It's a university email address. So, I'm going to say it. I don't know if people can write it down. It's Stacy with no E. So, S T A C Y dot Johnson, J O H N S O N, at Nottingham dot AC dot UK. Uh, I'm also on, I'm slightly again i blame you for this and i'm slightly obsessed with twitter um so uh, you can also get me on twitter i'm at miss sd johnson so at m-i-s-s-s-d johnson yeah so get me on twitter um you know ask me a question or whatever that direct message me or whatever else i hope you enjoyed the podcast if you'd like to comment please tweet me i'm at annie coops or leave a comment on leadershipquest.net We'd love to hear from you and love to hear your thoughts on the topics that we're discussing.